Hey, what's going on there, Warrior? Jeff Anderson here from WarriorLife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 475. So, finally getting some relatively good news coming out of the situation over in Israel right now, as we are starting to see some of the Hamas hostages released back to their families, and we're starting to get more about the details of what they went through in their ordeal. And it, it also brings up the potential for a hostage scenario that could have a place in your threat matrix that maybe you haven't thought of before, as well as a spotlight on some of the tactics that you or a family member could use to survive this type of a threat. Now, it's all coming up right in this week's show, but before we get started, don't forget that our warrior minions over here at the headquarters are busy each week doing all the heavy lifting to help you take out all the best notes from this week's show and condensing it all down into a handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet that covers all the main points for you. This and all of the other cheat sheets for our other episodes are all waiting for you right now, along with some training manuals, checklists, and some audiobooks, and you can pick them up absolutely free in this special section of our site that we call the Loot Locker. Now, all you have to do is go to warriorlife.com loot. You can grab everything you want. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat, Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. All right. Hey, what's going on there, Warriors? Jeff Anderson here, founder of WarriorLife.com, the Warrior Life Academy. Look, on October 7th, the Palestinian terrorist group Hamas executed a large-scale planned attack on unsuspecting civilians living in Israel. First launching a barrage of 2,500 to about 5,000 rockets into southern Israel. And this really provided the cover and the deception that they needed for the next phase of their attack, which happened about an hour later when Hamas fighters infiltrated civilian sectors through breaches in the barriers there on foot, by motorcycle, by boat. And there was even at least one person that came through on a powered parachute. They brutally slaughtered innocent men, women, and children, went house to house, shooting indiscriminately, raping women and children in the process. And these sick cowards then took back with them nearly 167 or so. This That's about the number that I got here of Israelis and other foreign nationals that they took as hostages. Now, this week after a relentless counter assault by Israeli fighters over in Gaza, We've begun to see hostages being swapped, and we're going to start to hear more and more of the details that they've that they've been through in their time in captivity. Now, I know for you, this may seem like an ordeal that is some threat in a far off land. But the truth is being taken hostage isn't as unlikely a threat as you might think, even here on U.S. soil. I mean, the number in the U.S. around it's around twenty three hundred children go missing daily. Most of that is due to running away or being kidnapped by a family member, but there are still about 5,000 annual abductions of children each year that are from strangers. And every, every parent knows, like it's the worst nightmare when your kid doesn't pick up the phone or they go off to school, but they don't come home when they should have, and you're wondering where they are. And it's not just for children as well. I mean, adults are also kidnapped for various reasons. These can last anywhere from a few minutes to even days, weeks, or even years in some of these cases. Now, honestly, by the numbers, your threat of being kidnapped and held hostage for an extended period of time is pretty low. But there are enough stories of everyday folks being held captive for days on end and subjected to sexual abuse, torture, and the terror of not even just knowing what their fate's going to be that I felt like it was worth knowing at least a few tactics to help you survive this type of an attack. Now, as soldiers in combat, we know that there's always this chance of being taken captive and held hostage by the enemy. And and many of you have probably heard of the SEER school in the military, which stands for subversion, uh, evasion, resistance, and escape. And, And that school is specifically designed to help prepare soldiers with strategies that they can use to survive during captivity and then escape and evade our captors if if there's ever an opportunity to be able to do that. My unit went through this training a long time ago, and we have a few SEER instructors actually in our Warrior Life Network. And we've gotten some great, some great podcast episodes out of them, as well as some workshops that we've done as well. In fact, uh, the late Kevin Reeve 
Uh, his most popular in-person training course was his Urban Escape and Evasion program. And we sponsored one of those events in Austin, Texas a few years back. And it was an amazing experience. It was it was good to get a totally different take on surviving a civilian abduction versus the training that we received in the military. But there was a, a lot of crossover there as well. And because I think that the Hamas attack has really raised people's consciousness about the possibility and the impact of a civilian abduction, that I thought it would be useful to share with you some strategies that you should know for preventing an abduction, as well as tactics to survive during captivity and even considerations for escaping your captors and evading them as they're hunting you down after you escape. So let's go ahead and jump in here first with taking a realistic look at the threat as it applies to you so that you can better understand what to look for. I mean, you might not live in a high threat environment overseas, but there are a few basic categories of kidnapping threats that could still apply to you. Specifically, um, they are a traditional kind of individual kidnapping where a family member or a stranger or strangers take somebody against their will. Now, this accounts for most of the child abductions out there, but also could be targeting of an adult for things like ransom, um, owing the wrong people money, political leverage. But most of these cases are the kidnapping of of young women for forcible rape. So those are probably the biggest, you know, outside of the family take a family member taking a kid. Women being abducted and raped is even if it's just, you know, for a few minutes or it could sometimes be for an extended period of time that people. I mean, there's still there's women missing, right? There's children still missing. There's adult men missing. And but that that's really kind of the biggest thing I think that we see out there because women tend to be an easier target for people. And let's face it, there's a bunch of creeps out there. So now this type of a traditional individual kidnapping also covers scenarios like overseas abduction of travelers or workers. And that is also for the purpose of ransom, or it could be for political purposes. Uh, it could also be for human trafficking as well. And again, these types of addiction of abductions can take place anywhere. They can take place at a, like a bus stop, a parking garage, or even in your home, in your own home by a home invader who's looking for you to be home. Like that's some home invaders aren't just there for the television set. They're there to terrorize the family. Now, the second type of hostage situation that we have is a is a group containment scenario, like we just saw with Hamas when they held nearly 200 hostages together as a group where there may be less direct control over individuals, but there's also multiple kidnappers, which also complicates things. And those kidnappers often follow a common philosophy or a leader who guides the fate of those who were, who were abducted, abducted. So it's, it's part of a bigger plan there. Now, the third kind of a hostage scenario is where someone or a group is used as a human shield against an opposing force. Now, in the military, we've seen this where the enemy will hold civilians or prisoners in locations that are in and around combat targets to make sure that, well, to avoid the avoid those errors being fired upon by us So, because we don't want to hurt our own people. But it could also be a scenario where there's like an active shooter who's taken over his or her workplace because they they're exacting some revenge on their employer or, or the employees that are there, or it could be a police standoff with some unhinged abusive partner. It could be a domestic abuse relationship. It could be, it could be a home invader or another criminal who's been caught in the act and has taken hostages while they're negotiating their escape, which you might just be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now of these different hostage scenarios, the ones that I personally plan for are a home invasion abduction and a possible attack when I'm traveling overseas, whether that's for work or for pleasure, because there are too many of both of these cases to really ignore that this is something that you should be prepared for. Like I said, I think it's enough in people's consciousness. I mean, this was a reason why Kevin's, when he was alive, why this course was was his number one course for escape and evasion in urban areas, because there is that threat of a home invader taking you and your family hostage and driving you to ATM machine, or, you know, it could be, it could be any of these situations. So I really do think that this is something that we should all be really taking stock in and, and at least knowing some of the things to be able to get through this thing or be able to better educate 
maybe an easier target within your family. Maybe it's your children or maybe it's your spouse or, you know, your wife or your girlfriend. So I think that these things really should be taken more seriously and they don't just happen overseas. They're happening around us. Maybe they just haven't, haven't happened to you yet. Maybe they never will. But when they do, you've got to have a plan. You have to know what to do. Um, for me, home invasion abduction and when I am traveling, because sometimes I've gone to like Mexico and I've done work in Mexico, Mexico City and Juarez, Mexico, where abductions are not, not so uncommon there. So for you, it could be maybe a, another location that you travel to, whether it's for business or for pleasure. Um, also, I have female family members that I worry about. Uh, they might be targeted in public and with the statistics out there of one of every six American women being the victim of rape in their lifetime, this is something that I personally worry about with, with them. And the strategies that we're about, about to talk about should be something that I think every woman should know, in my opinion. Okay. All right. So now it's important to understand that an abduction really is, it's a very dynamic criminal event. And what I mean by that is a lot of things can change. Like there can be a lot of factors that you would have to, that you'd be facing. And so you need to keep that in mind because that's going to play into how warrior ready you are when an attack happens of this kind. In other words, there could be a lot of different factors in where you are attacked. There could be a lot of different factors in how you're attacked or who is attacking you or who is taking you hostage. So because it it isn't just kind of like one single avenue down the hostage taking uh, road here, it it really you really do have to have kind of a toolbox of tactics that you can pull out here. So it is very dynamic, but there are also some frameworks that we see that are common among these types of abductions. And there are different phases of an abduction. And each one has its own set of tactics to be able to get you out alive. So the first phase is what happens before a kidnapping takes place. So this is the planning and surveillance stage where a kidnapper or kidnappers are deciding on who the best target is going to be, the location that they're going to take somebody, um, as well as you know, what time they're going to carry out the abduction, how they're going to do it, what they're going to need. Like there's, there can be a lot of planning that goes into this. As we just saw with the Hamas attack, they had bulldozers ready to take down objectives. They even had, they even had other terrorist groups that combined into one to plan or plan this over a longer period of time. This is why it was such a huge fail on the part of Israeli intelligence, because this was something that would have needed a lot of networking, a lot of a lot of interaction among people that don't even normally interact. So the, you know, I guess, you know, the fact that this thing made it as far as it did and was executed without anybody really knowing about it is really from an intelligence standpoint, it is a huge fail, but the same thing can happen with you. Are you even paying attention to this phase right here, this planning and surveillance stage? And this stage can, it can be a very short period of time. Like, so in other words, like somebody might notice an easy target of opportunity. It could be a rapist that just sees like they're out and about and they just see the perfect opportunity for a child abduction or taking somebody who you know, they're driving along and they see a woman jogging along the road and she's oblivious and it's the middle of nowhere. Nobody can see them. And all of a sudden, like there's a target of opportunity there. That doesn't take a lot of planning to be able to do that. Or, it could be a very detailed, intricately planned attack. Uh, one of the cases I talk about is a home home invasion in Connecticut that happened a while back where a doctor's wife and daughters were followed home when they were out shopping and there were two burglars that were out on parole that noticed them shopping in the parking lot, followed them home, and then entered that home later on in the middle of the night. They went and got the supplies that they needed to be able to you know, really subdue the family. Um, they ambushed them in their beds in the middle of the night. That was actually like three o'clock in the morning, broke in. And first thing they did was they took out the dad with a baseball bat, just hit him over the head, beat them, beat him unconscious, threw him down in the basement. And then all of the other, it was uh, two daughters and the wife were uh, bound up. They were 
tied to the beds, raped, tortured, and then hours later burned burned alive while while tied to their beds. Actually, the mom was was strangled to death. But I mean, how horrific is that? Now the father did he did survive, but he was tied up, bound in the basement, having to really come to terms with him not being able to save his family that was being tortured. Imagine how horrific that must be. That's why I think even just having these tactics, even just understanding them in concept alone and being able to take and and put some of these into practice, it doesn't really take that much, but you do have to understand and think about it ahead of time in order to be prepared for that kind of a scenario. So again, for sick lowlifes like, like these guys that broke into that house, their reason for taking hostages is for terror. It's for power. It's for sexual assault. And it could be a very well-planned attack that you never even see coming. You could be asleep in your bed and this can happen. All right. Now, the second phase of a kidnapping is the attack itself, whether that's in public, like a parking garage or along a road, if somebody's jogging, walking or, or waiting for a bus or some other ride, or whether it's in a home or, or business, wherever it is. Um, but that's the second phase is the actual attack. And then there's the movement phase. So if the person or the persons being abduct, abducted are intentionally taken to a secondary location to be held captive or just be taken somewhere that's maybe more remote where the abductor doesn't have to worry as much about being seen, noticed, captured, you know, et cetera. And then finally, um, well, not finally. And then there's the actual like captivity phase, which again could be anywhere from minutes to even years. But during this time, it's important to know how to endure whatever your abductor has in store for you. And also at that same time, looking for opportunities to be able to escape and get away from them. Um, And then finally, there is the release phase, which can mean being released by your captor, or it can mean rescue by police or military, or it could mean that you were able to escape and you're evading your captor after escaping. All right, so those are the different phases, but now let's talk about some strategies that you can use during each of these phases to be able to get out of a hostage scenario alive. So the first part is defeating the planning and surveillance phase of an abduction, which is going to seem like the most obvious and the easiest factor to deal with because it really comes down to being aware of your surroundings so that you see an attack coming before it actually happens, right? But the question really comes down to, are you really as aware of your surroundings as you think you are? Because you don't really know what you're not aware of because you're not aware of it. So naturally, you can always be more aware, but that doesn't necessarily mean also that you need to walk around like you're paranoid waiting for ninjas to pop out of the bushes. You just are. Are you really are you re- just take a, a self check right here? Are you really as aware of your surroundings as you think you are? So at home, are you keeping all of the entrances, including doors and windows? Are you keeping them locked even while you're home? Do you have an alarm system installed? And if you do, do you actually turn it on at night or when you leave the house? Or And, and do your kids know how to use it, including that panic button if, if needed, right? So if somebody's trying to get through, maybe maybe your kids are, or your grandkids are too small to be able to fight somebody back, but they can press a button. So do they know how to use that thing? But even outside the home, I often see, like I said, I see joggers running all the time with traffic alongside the road. And they've got their ear, their ear, uh, their earphones in, blaring music. I'm, I'm sure, and they just seem to be completely oblivious to the threat of a, a vehicle just pulling right up alongside them and somebody grabbing them before they even know what hit them, or, or people that are loading shopping bags into their vehicles and parking lots and parking garages without even looking around to see who might be around them, or even where they park. You know, for example, pulling up next to a panel van with no windows on it, where somebody could just lie in wait there and. And open up that side door and just pull you inside or parking in, let's say, I mean, it's shopping season right now. So pulling into a mall's parking lot, maybe later in the day while it's still light out, but out, but not realizing that that area is going to be dark when you come out of the mall and your, your arms are all loaded up with bags that, that makes you an easier target. So these are all things that you should be thinking about beforehand to really get down to get a, really getting down to process that you can follow when you're in public to increase your odds of not being seen as a target out there. Now, another thing that you can you can do here to avoid being a target and avoid being 
targeted during that surveillance stage there is to project that you are not an easy target. One of the best ways to do that is to have a flashlight as part of your everyday carry. I've talked about this quite a few times. I I think I use my flashlight more than probably any other piece of everyday carry equipment that I have on me. And, And I'm not talking about your phone's flashlight function. That is not, that's not the flashlight that I'm talking about. I'm talking about a legit high intensity tactical flashlight LED has high output. I mean, that thing is going to like burn somebody's eye, eye eyeballs and having it really like readily available, not in the bottom of a purse, not in, you know, your, your backpack or in your car, you need to have it readily available so that you can pull it out at a moment's notice. Preferably it should also have like an attack bezel on the end of it where the light is so that if you use it for striking, it's going to do more damage to somebody. Um, it should also have a strobe function on it so that you can disorient an attacker if you can use that to be able to help you escape. Um, but, I, but I tell people that if it is dark out, like even if it is in a well-lit parking lot, I've got my flashlight out and I'm shining it to the left to the right just to be able to show anybody that's looking at me that I am somebody who is aware of my surroundings so that they don't even give me a second look. I'm not going to be a target that day. So just go ahead and, and I mean, I, th- I really think you've got to have one of the, you have to have some small flashlight that you can carry with you that you can use. Just pull it out at a moment's notice. All right. All right. So that's the planning and surveillance stage there. Uh, the attack, let's talk about that. This is the most dangerous uh, phase of the attack itself, even more so than being in captivity. Because a lot of things can happen during the attack. I mean, there's a lot going on. So your captor, even if they've got it highly planned, it's still a highly stressful thing. They still, It's still a dynamic, changing type of a situation. Is somebody going to fight back? Are they armed? Are they going to run away? Are they going to scream? It's going to be stressful for the captor as well as obviously for you. And when that stress is there, when that adrenaline is pumped up like that, People can be very impulsive. You might be impulsive, but your captor might also be impulsive. So if they're armed and you start freaking out, are they going to stab you or shoot you or are they just going to run away? You don't really know what they're going to do. We've seen both of those types of situations happen. I'm like both of those reactions happen. So understand that when an attack or an ambush happens, that is going to be a dangerous time, but It's also the best time for you to be able to fight back and take advantage of the chaos because for that very reason that it is dynamic, that your captor doesn't know what you're going to do, the reason to take you uh, captive is because they want you alive. So chances are fighting back is is going to get rid of them. I've seen lots of videos where... Women have been tried to be pulled into cars, sometimes by multiple people. And even just the the short act of fighting back, not even like pulling out a weapon or anything, oftentimes is enough to get the, the abductors to get them to leave you alone, let you go and take off out of the area because they don't want to be caught. So it's always a risk reward situation for them. But that is when you want to take advantage of that chaos. When they don't have when things aren't going as they planned. That resets their OODA loop, right? That resets their OODA loop, that observe, orient, decide, and act. Now that you've forced them to reorient on your actions and respond to you rather than you responding to them, you kind of, it puts them a little bit more on the defensive. So try and do everything you can. If you can escape, just run like hell, just get the hell out of there. Now you can't always escape. You might be there with your children or with your spouse or whatever. So you just need to make sure that this person realizes that you're not going with them. So if you're in public, make as much of a ruckus as you possibly can. You want to draw attention over to you. Uh, This is something you want to tell children like to go into freak out mode. If they feel like they're in danger, freak the hell out, yell, scream, cry, tantrum, throw things, yell out. You're not my father. You're not my father. And that's going to cause, I mean, that's, that's going to cause somebody to, it's going to hopefully bring attention to other people that are around there, but that freak out can really set that person back kicking, screaming. They realize that it's not going to be an easy take for them. 
Now, if you can't escape, you can't run away, you want to fight back as best that you can. So this is where, of course, knowing some self-defense moves are going to help you. Knowing how to fight back unarmed. So even if you, I mean, if, if you carry weapons, actually carry them. So in other words, if you, I mean, look, if you've got your concealed carry permit, you want to have like carry, like it's not, it's not a piece of paper. It's not something just to stick in your wallet. It's a lifestyle. So if you have a a concealed carry permit, you want to carry concealed. So have that with you. But if it's an ambush, and especially if it's going to be an abduction, like they're not looking to come from 21 feet away, like you're training for down at the range. So most likely you're not even going to get to whatever weapon that you have with you unless you have it in your hand. Another reason why having a tactical flashlight is good to have with you because it can be in your hand. You can be shining it around. And if somebody jumps out at you, you can use it as an impact weapon to be able to get to another weapon or be able to escape or whatever. But you should know self-defense moves so that you can be able to get to that weapon or just fight back with your hands if you get disarmed or you don't have a weapon at all. All right, the next phase that we are looking at is movement. So again, you don't you don't want to be moved if you can avoid it. That's why you want to make your stand if you can. So we tell people that if you are held up like it's an armed robbery, for example, and you're out on the street and somebody comes up, they have a knife or they have a gun and they hold you up and you give them your purse or your wallet and then they say, okay, now get in the car. Well, that's the signal that they weren't just after your wallet or your purse, that you are possibly just the target. And so you want to make your stand right there. Like if they have that in fact, I mean, your best bet, if you can, even if they're armed, if it's just you and you don't have like a, a child in tow, if they ask for your wallet, pulling it out and throwing it at them, like right at their face and then running away from them is most likely like if that's all they wanted was your wallet. Well, they win, you win. They got the wallet, they can get the hell out of Dodge and you can just take off, but you don't want to give it to them and you know, if you can avoid it, you don't want to just give it to them and sit there and wait for the next command. But if they do say, okay, now get in the trunk or now get in the vehicle, you want to try and make your stand right there if you can. Now, if it is too risky, so for example, if you if you can't run away, you can't escape, you have children with you, you got a baby with you, or, or you know, you, you, there's something that's going to be too risky, then you don't necessarily want to make, you don't want to fight back too much. Now, I know that that sounds really weird, right? But here's the thing is that if it is a hostage-taking scenario, you want to be as observant as you possibly can about the situation that you're in. So if you don't feel like you can be taken, or if you're fighting back and it's not working, or somebody else gets out of the car that's bigger and stronger, and they come in and they grab your feet, and now you've been held there. For me, I say fight back as, as long as you possibly can. But if it looks like you are going to be going for a ride, you definitely don't want to struggle too much. And the reason why I say that also is because if you're knocked unconscious, you you can't be like you can't you're not going to know where you're at. If you just wake up and now all of a sudden now you're in a dark, dank room, you're hogtied with chains and you have no idea where you are, how you got there, how many people brought you there that's not going to give you the best chances for escape after you finally get to your destination. So if it looks like you are absolutely going for a ride and you've, you've done everything you can to try and make your stand, stop struggling. What you want to do is be as observant as possible during the movement. Now this can mean a few different things because you might have the opportunity to escape at the next location that you're at. So you want to be observant about where you are, so if you're in the back of a van, are there other people with you holding you down? Are you bound? If you're in the trunk, do you see a way that you can escape? Is there a pull latch like modern cars are supposed to have a latch in there that is supposed to be glow in the dark so that if somebody's trapped in there, you can just pull that and it'll open up the trunk. It could be a situation where you might be able to go through where the taillights are and be able to dig into there and then knock out a taillight. Maybe that'll grab the attention of a police officer who will pull the person over to let them know that their taillight's out or you know give them a ticket. That could 
spark a, you know, somebody coming to rescue you. It could also be that you look around or feel around if it's dark. If you've got your flashlight with you, you can use to look around, but you can you can maybe find a weapon of opportunity in there. Maybe it's a tool. Maybe it's a screwdriver that you can use as a stabbing implement. Maybe it's a fire extinguisher that's in there. Maybe it's a tire iron. If the abductor wasn't smart enough to take that stuff out of there, these things can be hidden on you or used as a weapon when they go ahead and open up the trunk again. But you want to be as observant as possible during the movement, not just about like what's in your environment right there, but also about everything that's happening during your movement. Uh, and, and really for this, you, you really want to like close your eyes, use all of your senses, listen for things that are going to be like, um, you know, do you hear what kind of traffic do you hear? Uh, get a sense for how bumpy the road is. Like, are you going over railroad tracks? Like really try and, and uh, even just count them off. Like if you if you if you go over another set of tracks, well, there's two sets of railroad tracks. That information alone, if you were able to make contact with somebody and be able to provide, even just like if they knew where you were abducted from because they found your vehicle, and you went over two sets of tracks, well, that really narrows down the direction that you were taken in. So that's going to help people be able to track you down and and rescue you there as well. The other thing here to tell people is if there is a way, like if uh, if you have on your smartphone, there's if you have an Apple phone, it's or you know like iPhone, it's uh, Find My is an app that naturally it's bu- it's built into the phones and allows you to find your phone or if you have it location turned on for you or family members. It'll track that phone so you can see where somebody is. But if somebody is going to abduct you, most likely they're going to be taking the, uh, like, whatever you're using. Like, they're going to look for your phone. They're going to take your phone because I don't want you calling 911 when you're in their trunk. Now, there are other things that you can use for this. So there's the Air Tags that, that Apple has. And I purchased one of these. These can be, I mean, really they're designed for like your keys, like you know, putting them on a keychain, And then if you, if you're constantly losing your keys, you can always find them using your phone. It'll take you like right to where your keys are, but you can also put these like in a kid's backpack. You can sew it into a belt, but you can have it with you all the time so that somebody can track you. So if you are abducted, uh, maybe your abductors don't, maybe they take your phone, but they don't realize that you've got something like sewn into your belt that's going to allow you to be tracked that way also. I know people are oftentimes worried about their, uh, you know, being tracked by Big Brother or whatever. And for you, you really have to uh, weigh it out for yourself of of how much you're concerned about Big Brother tracking you versus having the ability to be found or to find somebody else in your family if if somebody is abducted. Or hurt, or just in a in a car accident, or whatever. So, um, highly, I highly recommend those things. They can be, very, especially if you have children. I mean, I can tell you as a parent, like it's it's a nightmare to think about even just to even just to imagine your kid being taken and held hostage by some creep, right? All right. So, uh, so that's that covers movement. But again, just look for what your your next opportunity is there for escaping it could be when you get to your destination so if you were unconscious i mean everybody's seen this in the action movies right you were thrown into a trunk unconscious they still think you're unconscious they start to pull you out and as they pick you up you stab them in the neck with that screwdriver right so there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you can do there but movement is another phase here that you really need to be conscious of the next phase that we're going to talk about is the captivity phase and you really need to be prepared for what's going to happen. Now, of course, your mind is going to wander to this anyway, but you need to understand that most likely you are going to be abused. Like you were abducted for a reason. Now, it could be physical abuse. It could be sexual abuse. It could be mental abuse. The As we're hearing from, well, as we know, just from POWs, as well as the, the hostages that were taken by Hamas, they were deprived of sleep. This, uh, you know, they were, they weren't fed that much. They weren't allowed to shower. And what this does is disrupts people's ability to think straight, to be able to fight back. It makes you an easier cap, uh, uh, 
makes you an easier captured uh, victim. So they don't want you fighting back. They don't want you looking for an opportunity to escape. If you do escape, they don't want you to be, you know, well-fed, filled with energy and, and raring to like just make a beeline for the highway so that you can get picked up and then they get caught. So realize that most likely you are going to be tortured, tormented in some way that's going to disrupt your thought patterns that are, are meant to do that. It's meant to disrupt you psychologically. So all of that is going to be very, very likely something that you're going to have to deal with. Just knowing about that upfront, coming to terms with it, get your mind out of reacting to it should it actually happen and get you back into the mode of looking for your escape attempt and what your next move is going to be. And you want to plan your evasion before you attempt an escape because you might get a great opportunity to escape. But if you don't know what you're going to be facing next, I mean, it's possible that you're not going to know, but if you can know, then you really like that's going to give you the best chances of not just getting out of there, but keep keeping away from the people that are going to be hunting you down. Um, so personally, I would not even attempt an escape if I didn't think it was going to be successful, because all that's going to do is you've now shown your hand. Like they might think that you're an easy, an easy captive, but now if you've tried to escape, maybe they're going to put you under a different type of restraint that's going to be harder to get out of. Maybe they're going to hurt you physically, maybe break something where you can't escape. Maybe they're going to put more people in there. So the next time you do get an opportunity to escape, you're, it's not going to be as easy and you, you maybe have less chances there. So you might only get one, one shot at this, but you want to plan your evasion for what happens after you get past that door, after you get untied, you get yourself out of handcuffs. You need to plan for what's going to happen immediately after that. Now, this is where your observations during movement and being really conscious of who are the people at play here? Uh, what are what are the the dynamics that you're dealing with? Are you in a remote location because you felt like you were you were off road when you were come you know right before you parked? Was it a long driveway? Do you hear multiple doors? Like so, there's the door where you're at, but do you hear another door being uh, being closed on the on the other side of that door? Do you hear keys? Is it a locked door? Do you hear changes of the guard if it is multiple people, like if it's a POW situation? Can you tell when these changes are going to happen or what happens before a guard change or after a guard change? How long do they talk if there's a guard change? Look for any trends like that. Uh, do you hear voices of other people who are being held captive? What smells do you smell? Um, you might smell, I mean, it could be things like just feces. It could be, it could be the smell of blood. It could be the smell of ash. It could be the smell of gunpowder. It could be the smell of food. You need to be as, as conscientious as possible. Close your eyes, get as much of the, you know, smell, sounds, feeling, taste. What are the walls like? How hard are they if you knock on them? Are there animals that you hear that are there? Um, also looking for weapons of opportunity that are around you in your environment here. So the, there's a lot of things that you can listen for that are going to help you to plan your evasion. So if you hear that there is maybe multiple doors that you're going to have to get through and that they're using keys, you might be able to get through that one door that you're at. Maybe, oh, maybe you can see that it's a padlock and maybe you have something that can that you have on you that you can use to be able to, to pick that padlock and you get past that. But the next door is, let's say it has a deadbolt on it on the other side. Maybe it, it, it just uses keys and those are going to be harder. That's going to, you know, so you really need to understand what it is that you're dealing with from that, from that point on. All right. So visualize your escape, really close your eyes. Think of it like a, like a movie that's happening, plan it all out, know what you're going to do, so that you're not wasting time and trying to, you know, as best you can, right? Like if you're blindfolded and you're brought in, 
that's going to be something different. Like if you're not blindfolded and you're able to see your surroundings as you're being taken in, all the better. But most likely you might be you might be blindfolded, bound, gagged, all these things uh, to make sure that you don't know where you're at. And sometimes you just got to do what you can with what you've got, right? The other thing is to keep up hope. Because the fact is, is that most people who are abducted do make it out alive. I think only I think it, I think the number is eight percent of those that are abducted are are found murdered. So chances are you are going to make it out alive, but you do need to keep up hope. We talk about this a lot of times, even just from the standpoint of when people are shot. Why is it that somebody can be shot? 30 times and not go down like and they can still make it to safety whereas somebody else might not even receive a fatally a fatal wound they might be shot and it didn't pierce an organ or their heart or lungs or anything like that but somehow they die because they don't have the will to live they think they they just think that they're going to die anyway and so they do there are lots of cases of this as well so keeping up hope and realizing that Number one, you're most likely going to make it out alive. Two, humans can endure a crazy amount of abuse and they can make it through alive. Even somebody that is held captive, a woman held captive, a child held captive and sexually abused, even years later, they're oftentimes found alive and, you know, yeah, damaged mentally, sure. Damaged physically, yeah, but alive. And I don't think there's any parent out there who wouldn't want their kid back in whatever condition that they can get them back in alive and away from some sadistic predator. So understand that you need to keep up hope. Now, there are some things that you can do for this. For soldiers, I've heard tell from POWs that um, just keeping the American flag, a lot of them would you know keep it on the inside of their coats, sew it into the inside of their coats for our bug out bags. What I tell people is to actually create you know, take like an American flag and tie it together with a signal flag so that you have options for signaling to other people that you are American. If there's a situation for that, using the other side of it as a signal, if there's, if you're trying to be saved or you're trying to get the attention of aircraft that's flying overhead or other people, but having that American flag there and just having a patriotic sense that you are going to withstand, that you are going to come out of this and you're going to you're going to get back to your unit. You're going to get back to America. You're going to get back to your friends, your family. Just have something that you can hold on to there. Even if it's just the vision in your mind of family members and making it back for their purposes, keep them in your mind. If you are a religious person, if you have a crucifix with you, for example, if you're Christian, holding on to that and praying, uh, meditating, just doing things that are going to help you take control of your mind and not let you I guess get the best of yourself really and talk yourself down from that even during maybe the times that are the hardest, right? Um, Also, if you can get food and water to keep your strength up, if they offer it to you, definitely you want to do that. If it's going to be an extended period of time, you definitely want to like try and keep your strength up, exercise, because when you get out of there, I mean, you don't want to waste away there. So any exercise you can do, even if it's isometric, let's say that you are in a, a situation where you don't have a lot of room to move. Even just doing isometric exercises where you tighten up your muscles and you, you, you contract them and you release them, doing that over and over, those isometric exercises are still going to help you get some sort of physical exertion in with your muscles that you can, you can try and stay, stay in as best shape as possible. Now let's talk about one of the areas of captivity that I think a lot of people are, are probably most concerned about, and that's like if you're interrogated or if you are tortured for information. And the first thing to realize, and I've heard this from SEER instructors and from POWs, you need to realize that everybody caves under torture. I know Rambo doesn't, right? Like he can just take take all the electrical voltage that they're going to send through his body and is never going to tell them where the bad guy or where, where the, uh, the allies are and things like that. Like everybody's going to cave under torture. So it's about being as strategic with how you engage with your captors as best as possible. So what I mean by that is you want to be cooperative. Like I know even as soldiers were taught, you know, name rank serial number, right? But being cooperative in some of their questioning and not taking a hostile approach to them, 
telling them to go fuck themselves or, you know, talking about, you know, insulting them or bringing politics in there, bringing religion in there. Like that is potentially going to make things harder for you, which you like, again, you need your mental wits, you need your physical wits. So you don't want to be beaten any more than you're going to have to. You don't want to be abused any more than you're going to be. So try and be cooperative and non-hostile if you can, but you want to keep your answers short. You don't want to give them information. I'm not saying like spill the beans on anything that's going to harm like one of your family members or your allies or anything like that. But you can be cooperative, keep your answers short, and then maybe just go deeper on non-essential information. So things that aren't really relative to you giving up something that's going to harm somebody else, but go deeper on things that don't really matter. Like go give them details about things because what this does is it gives the, your captor the impression of cooperation because you are, you're talking extensively about things, but you're really not talking about anything that's going to be relevant. That's going to be, that's going to be useful to them. So it, it's, it could buy you some time. It could buy you some better, you know, more favorable treatment. It could even just give you the ability to maybe sway the, the impression of just one of the captors who might be the person that helps you escape. So, which is which is another another tip that's here is to engage with your captors on a human level rather than being belligerent and trying to fight back too much. And and I want to really stress this again that if you, if you insult them, if you're if you're trying to really like fight back against them, the biggest threats get killed first. If you're going to be a pain in the ass, if they have to, like, let's say, make an example out of somebody, who do you think they're going to make an example out of? It's going to be the person that they worry about the most or that's causing them the most problems. If Even if you're not killed, if you're knocked out because you're fighting back, you lose whatever opportunity you might have had. Let's say that while you're unconscious, there is an opportunity to escape. Or you do come across something that could be used as a weapon. If you're unconscious, you're not going to be there. You're not going to be able to get that, right? So that's going to be um, something you want to, you want to definitely, you know, keep in mind as well. All right. Now, in engaging with the captors, especially if there's multiple captors, because again, there might be one of them that maybe isn't as sold on taking people captive as the rest of the people are. How are you going to know if you're not paying attention, right? How are you going to know if you're not engaging with them and trying to trying to engage with them on that human level, talking about maybe family members or if you notice an interest that they have, whatever small talk is there. Um, there is a thing called Stockholm syndrome, which I'm you may or may not have heard of. This is something that happens with people who are held captive for a longer period of time. And as they are engaging with their captors, they start to become more sympathetic to their cause, really seeing things from their standpoint, even keeping in touch with them after they're released, or in some cases, not wanting to be released and staying with their captors. This typically happens over a longer period of time. But here's the thing is that it can happen the other way around as well. And so that's why I say, you know, one, you have to avoid Stockholm syndrome with yourself by keeping in mind that it is a thing and it is a syndrome it is a, a sympathetic syndrome that happens in it's a, it's basically a coping mechanism for what you're enduring, but it can also happen in reverse. In other words, through your engaging with your captors on this human level, talking with them about your family, about their family. These are things that are going to give you a human existence in their world right now versus being seen as like vermin, as as people who like, I mean, this thing was, you know, Hamas is on a genocidal kick. Like their their intention is the disintegration of Israel. So they have a genocidal view on things. Well, you can also like for, try and engage with people where you are um, really trying to get them to see you as more human. And so they're going to be more sympathetic to you. 
maybe there's going to be a time where you can get them to help you escape. One way to test this also is to maybe test out small requests, trying to get something to eat, trying to get something to drink, loosen up the binds, um, tying your shoes. Because Even if it's just like, my shoes are falling off, can you tie my shoes? Uh, I don't have any shoes. Is there anything you can find to help me? Uh, my feet are cold. Can you? Is there an extra blanket I can get? Anything like that that's not going to be like, and obviously, like, can, hey, can you bake me a cake with a file in it? Anything short of that, like just test out small requests, find out who's going to be cooperative. How are they reacting to you? That's going to give you insight into the people that are your captors. Uh, also, if you're held with other captives that are out there, uh, like in this Hamas situation, don't take your stress out on them. Obviously, everybody is going to be afraid, panicked, scared, uh, maybe acting out. Don't take your stress out on them. Don't act out. Don't fight them. Don't insult them. Don't like you need to try to get through this as much as possible as a group. You also don't want kind of somebody singling you out or even just talking about you to a guard or something that maybe they're outing you. Maybe they somebody noticed that you had a weapon on you and they think that they can maybe turn you in. So you want to hold the information close to your chest unless it's something that you're going to be able to use very quickly and be pulled out and be able to help help you escape. But um you have to be very careful about the other people that are around you. So listen for how they're uh engaging with the captors. How are they holding up under the stress? Who is a potential threat? Who is a potential ally? Um but just knowing that when there's other people there, they are part of the dynamic. Also, you need to understand how to escape from different types of restraints. Now, we have videos of this in some of our video courses that we have, especially specific to home invasions, uh, really coming from that that situation in Connecticut where uh, you know the father was beaten up and, and bound up and tied up and thrown down in, into the basement. You being able to get out of restraints is a very worthwhile skill, especially in this hostage type situation. So do you know how to get out of being duct taped, um, being bound up with rope? If you're tied up with zip ties, if you have handcuffs on you, do you know how to get out of those types of restraints so that you you can escape when you have the opportunity? So for this, I, I say you should carry and know how to use different types of escape and evasion tools. Handcuffs are probably one of the easiest things that you can get out of. One, you can hide a a covert uh, handcuff key on your body. You can have that. It can be in a belt. It can be in your shoes. You can have it sewn into clothing. You know, you having a handcuff key is going to be the easiest way out of them. But even with something like a bobby pin that is just placed on your belt and you just have it on your belt. That's something that you can use to be able to get out of handcuffs really easily. Those people that have gone through training, really where I learned it was in Kevin Reeves' Urban Escape and Evasion course. That was where I learned it. Super easy to do um, and also easy to plan for as well. So having some sort of these tools and knowing how to use them is going to help you as well. All right. So that wraps up the captivity stage. Now let's go to release. So release can mean... You're actually released by your captor. That's great. It could be where you are released, where you're still with them and you're still captive, but you might be out in public. We've seen this situation where people have been able to give hand signals when they're being transported. Um, this usually happens over a, a longer period of being held hostage where the basically the, the radar of your captor isn't getting the blips from you being out in public or being around other people that they feel like they've got you brainwashed enough or scared enough that you're not going to do anything. But it is possible that your captor does release you. So if it is a situation like where you've established a relationship, maybe with one of the guards, they help you escape, but there are other guards that you're gonna have to be aware of or that could be hunting for you that they're not like, they didn't help you escape. Maybe this one person did, but now you have to get past all of the other obstacles that might be in your way to, to safety. Um, it could be that you actually escape. 
that you find an opportunity that you're able to get out of your bindings and you're able to get past whatever barrier was that your initial barrier was there. And now you're in evasion scenario. Uh, it could also be that you are rescued by police or military. So let's start there. The first thing to understand there is that rescue is most likely not going to happen for a little bit of, for a little while, because usually if it is a hostage situation where you're being held for ransom, especially, and there's contact there, negotiations are going to go on. And they usually it's when negotiations have failed. That's when they're, they're going to put in rescue because even the rescue is going to be a chaotic, dangerous situation for everybody involved, not just law enforcement going in there, but for you as well. So it's really not the first thing that authorities are going to try and accomplish. So understand that it might be a while before you're rescued. So don't get down going back to like saving, you know, saving hope for, for coming out of this alive. Understand that it could be a while before anybody ever comes in and maybe they never do, right? That's why you always need to be ready to escape on your own. But if a rescue is attempted, so all of a sudden you hear gunfire going off outside of your room, uh, you hear flashbangs going off, you hear a lot of commotion, you hear a lot of yelling just of the people that are in the house or, or in the location where you're at. It sounds like they're alarmed by something. Understand that when this happens, it's going to happen very quickly. There's going to be speed, surprise, and violence of action. That's going to be close quarters battle right there. And you do not want to try to, well, I won't say don't try to help them because, well, one, I would say you don't know, number one, if it's an actual rescue for you, right? Like it could be something else that's going on. It could be that they found the guy that was going to help you escape and, he got turned in and now they're shooting him or they're fighting with him. So it might not be a rescue. So you want to make sure you wait, you're waiting for somebody to come through a door really. And when that does happen, you do not want to help out at all. You want to get down on the ground as fast as you can. Don't move. Don't try and run away. For the people that are coming in dynamically into a room, they hit a flashbang, they, they blow the door off. They come in. There's a bunch of people coming through now. They're being shot at. They're shooting at people. They don't necessarily know, they're, they're not going to be able to identify you as the victim. Maybe they don't even know that you're even there. Maybe they were there to rescue somebody else that was taken captive and they didn't realize that there were that there were multiple people there. Maybe they come upon you as they're exiting. Maybe they saved somebody else and now they're exiting and they go through your room. Whatever it is, you just want to make sure that as they're taking out bad guys, you're not trying to run away and giving them the impression that you're a bad guy trying to run away. So just get down on the ground. Don't make any sudden movements. Wait for everything to happen. You expect to be treated like a bad guy. You might be zip tied. You might be handcuffed. You can tell them, um, I was abducted. I'm, I'm not one of them. You can give them communication that's going to make them know that you are a person who is, you're the victim here. But don't fight them back. Don't take offense to being treated like a bad guy or thrown around or even struck like you just let them do their job and then filter it out once they get to safety. Okay. Now, if you do escape, realize that you are now in evasion mode. So you need to think strategically. So the first thing that you want to do is look around for a weapon. It's very important. You are in a situation where you are not in the location where maybe you wanted to be. Now, it might, it could be a situation where you are in your home and you were taken captive and maybe you have other family members that are being, that are being abused somewhere in the house. And if you, but again, your first thing is to get to a weapon, a weapon of opportunity in your home. You should have weapons staged everywhere. We did a whole workshop on this for, uh, for our all access members in the Warrior Life Academy. And there's a lot that you can do with staging weapons around your home. They don't even have to be firearms. They can be weapons of opportunity that, but they just need to be staged around there. So the first goal that you have once you escape is if you don't already have a weapon, get a weapon or make a weapon. All right. Your second goal really is situationally dependent. Um, but what you want to do is you want to get to immediate concealment if you can, so that you can, you can take 
stock of the area. You can you can better plan what your next step is going to be. You want to look for something that you can immediately get behind that's going to help hide you so that you're not frozen there like a deer in the headlights and then somebody comes along and they see you while you're frozen. So get to some place that you can find immediate concealment. You can look around. You can take stock of the area. You can look for a way out, maybe of the immediate area. Um, or you don't even have to get out of the immediate area. So stage three here is really to look at the direction that you are going to take off in. So can you get to another area of concealment or cover? Understand also that you don't necessarily need to gain distance. It's not like you need to take off running and run as fast as you possibly can. We were taught in in SEER school that, that you are much better off being strategical and thinking more offensively than you are to just try and hightail it out of the area. Now, there might be, as you look around, you might see that there is a river there, a stream there, or something that you can get in and maybe go downstream that's going to help you gain distance a lot faster. It could be um, where you're able to, if it, let's say it's a remote area, you're in the wilderness, uh, Think thinking strategically might mean just gaining some distance, but then going up high or finding just a hide there. Now, again, going back to what were you listening to in your surroundings? If you heard dogs, like big dogs that could be used, maybe potentially, if, especially if it's a military situation, maybe they're trained dogs to be able to, to get the scent of somebody. So maybe you would be tracked down by dogs. Understanding how do you evade dogs is something that you can take into account. But you can also look around at your surroundings, your environment, and look for ways that you might be able to, if is if you're only talking about like one person or maybe just one or two captors, that you can fight back. You can look for an opportunity to ambush somebody, especially if you have a weapon. Maybe gaining that distance isn't what you want to do. Maybe it's getting to a location where when they come into the room or if they come into the area or they get out of the vehicle or you know that they're uh, they have a certain like you're they're in they're in the house or you know just any any opportunity that you have for an ambush now that might not be your your primary thing that you do but again this is all a dynamic thing you need to take really good account of of how you're what you're going to do when you get that weapon when you uh, get to immediate concealment look around what are your opportunities for escape and evasion is there a vehicle there things like that um, and then knowing where you're going to go, use deception, use counterattack even, that's going to be your third goal. So that one, two, three is really where you need to set your sights for. And, and again, the more you visualize these things when you're in captivity, the, the more mental bandwidth you're going to have to be able to plan that next stage there. Okay. And then when you are escaping and evading, you want to try and get to a public location as quickly as possible. And... You know, if you are near a river, maybe following that downstream might be something that you want to do because that typically is going to take you to populated areas. Do you see in the distance smoke or lights or anything that you can try and get to that's going to give you an idea for a direction? But also understanding that the most logical place that you might run to may also be the place that somebody expects when that you're going to run to when they see you. So if there's like a barn on the on the edge of the property and you just escaped, I mean, that's probably where somebody would first go to, I would think, right? Like, isn't that where your mind wants to go to? Like, I'll run to that barn. Maybe there's something in there I can use as a weapon. If you have the time to be able to do that, maybe there is a weapon or something like that in there. But it also might be the first place that somebody expects you to run to, and that's the first place they look for you also. But trying to get to a public location as quickly as possible is going to be uh, important. If you're overseas, you should really know where an embassy is and you know, trying to get to the embassy, trying to know where to ask for an embassy. Uh, if it's in the United States, I would say police are obviously a, somebody that you would want to flag down. I did a lot of work in Mexico before, in Mexico City and in Juarez. And I learned very quickly that the police are not necessarily your friend in Mexico. A lot of them are tied in with the cartels. A lot of them are criminals themselves because people aren't allowed to really have these types of weapons that you would use for, you know, for the cartels and, and things like that. And so, or for, you know, for 
well, civilians can't have the, those kinds of, of munitions. So a lot of, I was told that the, the bank robberies are happening by police officers because they can have weapons. So it's no, you know, it's not, it's obviously that um, a lot of them are going to be dirty, dirty cops there, right? So you need to be very conscious about that. So going up to, if, if you determine that maybe you were being held by a cartel for ransom, maybe you saw things while you were there, like large stashes of drugs, um, heavy weapons, those are going to be signs that it was a cartel, that you've been abducted by a cartel. Usually that is for ransom. And going to a police officer and telling them you were held by a cartel might just get you put back into the cartel. You just never know. So you just got to be care- careful of those types of things. Try and make it as, as public a, a, a flagging somebody down as possible so there's other people there as well. All right. All right. So that's going to give you quite a few different things to consider in each phase of these attacks. We went much longer than I thought we were going to for this one, but I, I really want you to to not just see the this exchange of hostages. And as we get more reports, like right now, the hostages have been told not to really talk with people about their ordeal. And so we're going to start to see more of the details coming out. And I think you should pay close attention to those because what we're talking about is human behavior, not just something that's going to happen with these whack job terrorists that are overseas, but things that really could happen to you, your family member, and understand those dynamics. And then how to, again, escape and evade your captors, how to avoid these types of things happening. So you get a lot of different tips in here. Again, go and grab the uh the one page cheat sheet for this as well. You know, with all of our cheat sheets that are in the loot locker, I mean, it makes for a great binder. Topic specific, you can you can really put together a survival binder by putting those things together. Just put a three-hole punch in there, put it in the binder, and you know, we always have them readily available inside of the loot locker. So if you haven't already signed up for your loot locker membership, you can go to warriorlife.com slash loot and you can go inside the loot locker section there. We're in the process of redesigning the entire membership site to make it a lot easier to find stuff in there. But you will see a button in there that does say loot locker. You can go in there. There's some training manuals in there. Our cheat sheets are in there. And there's a lot of stuff in there for you to grab. And it's all absolutely free. So go to warlife.com slash loot and you can check it all out there. All right. And until our next podcast episode, this is Jeff Anderson saying live like a warrior. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.